Okay, Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Nahmaduhu wa nusalli ala rasulihi al-kareem. Amma ba'd. We express our praise and gratitude to Allah Ta'ala and we seek blessings on the Prophet Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam. So uh, I have to apologize. Uh, I had to decide whether to uh, have class today or not. Uh, one of my longtime mentors, he passed away and we just had a janaza and I was looking for a place where we where I could connect to the internet. And I thought, oh, how about the Loyola Garage, which is where I'm sitting right now. If I tried to walk inside Loyola, then a whole bunch of security people would probably run after me uh, to check for, for you know, whatever miscellaneous uh, viruses. So I'm sitting here in the car and you might periodically hear the, the red line drive by. Those of you who are from Loyola, hopefully it'll bring back some, some memories to you. Having said that, let's jump right into the material. So first and foremost, uh, the simple goal of the class is that we go through Al-Fatiha nice and slowly, and we go through the beginning of Ali Imran, the third surah, nice and slowly. And when I say nice and slowly, those of you who've taken my classes before uh, know that over the course of these next 30 or so days, inshallah, we are probably going to make it through a total of maybe maximum of 50 ayahs of which seven are in Al-Fatiha, the other 40 or so will be uh, in Ali Imran. Maybe not even that much, maybe a little bit more, maybe a little bit less. And so, so my goal is always quality over quantity. So those of you, most of you are familiar faces, you've taken my classes, and you know that I emphasize not consuming knowledge, but transformative knowledge. And what is the idea here? That the common approach to knowledge in our community is one of consumption. You know, here, let me listen to all the lectures that I can. Let me take all the classes that I can. And the way to test yourself is that if you've gone through a book, if you've gone through a lecture, have you changed anything by the time you complete the book or the lecture? Now, with a lecture, you're probably not going to be expecting to change anything drastic. And maybe even not with a book. But suppose you take a whole year of learning. And then ask yourself, what have you changed in terms of your thinking at the very least, but better than that, what have you changed in terms of your actions? And, and most of the approach to knowledge in our community is focused just on consumption. Not unlike, imagine if I signed a contract with you where I'm going to feed you a delicious dinner every single day for, for the month of Ramadan, and you feel great. It's a delicious dinner, it's healthy and everything. But that's essentially all I did. I was an entertainer. And so if you're attending this class for that purpose, that's fine. And inshallah, you'll get benefit that way. But what I'm suggesting is an aspiration higher than that, is that you're looking through the class over the course of these 30 days or so for nuggets to start applying into your life, into your thinking. There's a red line. Okay, so you're looking for those, those nuggets of thought or action, preferably action, to apply to yourself, to make part of yourself. So I'll give you a different example. You could read through all 7,000 hadith of Sahih Bukhari, or you could slowly go through the 40 hadith of Imam Nawawi, and you'll probably benefit more by going through those 40 hadith. And you could spend a day reading those 40 hadith because it's literally about three pages. Or you could spend one day per hadith reflecting upon hadith. Or you could spend a week reflecting on one hadith at a time. 
And I'm suggesting that slower approach will be of much more benefit to you. I'm saying this as not just a professional educator, but a trained educator. I mean, I, I take classes on, on how to educate and such. So <clears throat> that's a second level of approach. First level approach is that this is fundamentally daily entertainment, pious entertainment. And if that's your intention, Alhamdulillah, stay with us. Higher than that is that you're looking for some nuggets to, to improve yourself on. And if that's your intention, stay with us. Inshallah, you'll, you'll get those. Okay. And a higher intention is to really get into what the Quran is giving us. Okay. Now, so let's talk about this for a moment. That every single work of scripture, part of what it's doing is it's telling you how does reality operate. And the easiest way to understand that is think of what do you think of when you're reading science fiction or you're watching a science fiction or fantasy movie. Whether we're talking about Star Wars, Star Trek, Lord of the Rings, Marvel, et cetera, et cetera, Harry Potter, and even Twilight. And, and so what is the, the point here? They are saying, here's how reality actually operates. That Star Wars says there's the Force, and there's the, there's the Jedi, and then there's the Sith, and there's this imperial battle uh, for control of the whole galaxy. I mean, the fun part of Star Wars is it little takes place in the tiny little galaxy. Not even the whole universe. You know, you would think that their aspirations would be bigger. Or Harry Potter is saying, you know, there's the muggles who just live in this daily world. But in the realm of the unseen, you have all this magic that's taking place with these massive battles that most people don't even know about. And so what I'm saying is that almost every scripture you can think of, whether it's speaking of the Quran, whether it's speaking of the Bible, whether it's speaking of the Tibetan Book of the Dead, whether you're speaking of, of all these other books, what they actually are telling you, here's how reality operates. And so my suggestion to you to really aspire uh, for what the goal is, the course is trying to give you is to try to look at reality through the lens of the Quran, which then means what? <clears throat> you have to try your absolute best not to, not to multitask. You have to try your absolute best to really, really take notes because the challenge you're gonna face that makes it very hard, and this is even in academically, the very the big challenge that my Muslim students face is that they already know the vocabulary. So every time they hear the vocabulary, their brain actually shuts off. I don't need to learn anything. And this class would actually be easier to teach if I used no Arabic vocabulary. This will make sense as we go through. But the point I'm making is that even when you hear a term like Iman, like Islam, like Ihsan, like Al-Fatiha, what you try to want to gather is how are we defining it in this class? That's, that's the goal. And so the goal is that by the time we get to the end of this month, inshallah, where your understanding and your immersion in reality to shift, even if it's just a little bit, that's your goal. And so let's make this point a step further. We already have statements, we already have teachings about how reality operates in our tradition, right? that we always say you're in this world as part of a test and nobody really ever tells you how to pass the test. And then <clears throat> we're gonna be held to account of the day of judgment and either we're gonna to go to paradise or we're gonna to go to hell. Some people are gonna to go to hell temporarily and then eventually they're gonna to go to paradise and then time doesn't exist anymore, right? That's essentially what we teach. Is everything that I said true? Yeah, it is true. But then what is your relationship with Allah throughout the whole thing? Is he, you know, what you and I think of when we think of the attributes is Allah Ta'ala what we think of when we're only looking at a couple attributes, whatever the case may be, this is part of our journey 
over the course of these weeks. And so, so today, and, and those of you who've gone through Al-Fatiha with me, this is especially going to be a review for you. And there's going to be minor differences in terms of how we're going through Al-Fatiha in the five o'clock class versus the six o'clock class. So those of you who are here for both, um, maybe the, the repetition will be of benefit, inshallah. So normally I would be drawing this, but because I'm sitting in the car, you're going to have to try to imagine things. So first, and again, apologies for the repetition. When we think of all of the Islamic sciences, the core Islamic sciences, uh, you can put them into three categories. Okay. The source material is category number one. Category number two is the practical sciences. And category number three are the abstract sciences. Category number one is the source material, which is the study of Arabic, the study of the Quran, and the study of the prophet, peace be upon him. And again, Arabic, the study of the Quran, the study of the prophet, peace be upon him. And when, we're, when, when I say study of the Quran, what do I mean? I mean, this is what we call ulum al-Quran in terms of the sciences of the compilation, the editing of the Quran, as well as the tafsir, commentary and such. When we're speaking about the prophet, uh, hadith and sunnah may or may not be the same thing, but we're speaking of the sciences of the hadith and we're also speaking of the sirah, the biography of the prophet and such. But category number one is the practical science, is the, is the source material. Category number two, is what we speak of when we speak of the practical sciences, and that is Islamic law, sharia, the understanding of sharia is what we call fiqh. Today, the, the term has had different meanings over the years. Number two, tazkiyah, purification. This is often the realm of the Sufis. And then number three is adab and akhlaq. Character, character and manners. So those are the practical sciences. And if you actually think about them, they're practical sciences because Islamic law, Sharia is focused on your actions. Dazkia is focused on purification of the heart, but it often involves actions to work on purification of the heart. And likewise for character and manners, those are speaking of actions. And then we speak of the abstract sciences. And the most commonly used abstract sciences of the most commonly uh, are where you find the most prolific writings from the scholars are history, philosophy, and most of all, theology. And why are these abstract? Because number one, the layperson doesn't need to know any of this. And number two, it doesn't actually change anything in terms of actions. So history is what you think of it. It's the study of the whole history of not just the biography of the prophet, peace upon him, you get the 30 years after him, you get the Umayyads, you get the Abbasids, you get the Fatimids, so forth and so on, all the way into the colonial era, all the way into today. Now, why is that not a practical science? Because it's not telling me to do anything. I may be inspired to do something because of it, but it's not actually telling you to do anything. And then you have philosophy, falsafa, <laughs> which is hardest to define because it's basically all the abstract speculation that you don't find in theology. That's basically what philosophy is. Yeah. So let me define theology first. Theology, you usually find three common categories. And I'll give you the Arabic terms. You know, One is aqidah, one is usuluddin, one is kalam. Aqidah is essentially trying to identify what is concrete in the unseen. Now, what are we saying? That if I believe la ilaha illallah Muhammad Rasulullah, if I believe the shahada, 
then there's consequences in terms of what else I need to believe. And so aqidah, which we often translate as creed, but what is it? It's binding me into the community. And it's saying, if you, if you believe that sentence, no ilah but Allah, Muhammad's the messenger of Allah, then you have to believe this other paragraph as well. Angels, books, messengers, day of judgment, so forth and so on. And some of these things we'll define in more detail. And again, if I'm going too fast, uh, by all means, please let me know. I also have my chat box open. And then that's aqidah, which can be anywhere from a paragraph to a couple paragraphs to a couple pages. And then the commentary on aqidah might go volumes. But what is it? It's basically the concrete of the unseen. Attempting to find out what is concrete, according to what our primary sources. And then we have the usuluddin, which literally be the roots of religion. It would be the philosophical underpinnings. How does this whole thing we call Islam operate? How does it all fit together? Or does it fit together? Does it have to fit together? That would be all in the realm of usuluddin. And then we have kalam, which we might call dialectical theology, which is often our answers to their questions. Our answers to their questions means what? That there's always questions in the air that may not be coming from within our belief and practice, but they're so dominant in the air, we feel like we need an answer. So questions like today would be, uh, you know, do we believe in evolution? Okay, that's not coming from our tradition. Where's that coming from? That's coming from the reading of the Bible, that God made man in his image. If we're saying man is half a step away from a monkey, then what does that say about God? But then what happens if you change the his, God made man in his image from capital H to lowercase h, then that changes everything. And so, and so we might have a Hadith narration like that, but why do we have evolution as a question in our community? It's a question in the Christian West. Or when we get into the practice of it, we'll have questions of things like stem cell research and such, which gets more into the fifty questions. But there are theological conse uh, 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 consequences to this. Like, when does the soul enter? We usually say after three periods of 40 days. But that's not a unified uh, opinion. That's a majority opinion. And so forth and so on. And so kalam is our questions, our answers to their questions, meaning what? Our answers to the questions that are in the air. Or even something more abstract, what's the relationship between science and religion? Uh, Aman, you have a question. Yeah, um, Salam. So just um, to, I guess, just double check real quick um, as I'm writing notes. So these three concepts, Aqidah, Usul al-Din, and Kalam, they come under theology or philosophy? Theology? Uh, I'm saying these are all theology. Okay, yeah. Makes sense. Yeah. And if we were to put them all together, uh, it is sort of speculative theology. Although aqidah is attempting to be, in theory, non-speculative. It's basically saying, here's what we have in the primary sources about, about the unseen, and, and thus uh, we follow. And then, and then uh, uh, Usul al-Din has a realm of speculativeness about it. So in Usul al-Din, you'd wrestle with questions like, what's the relationship between free will and, and predestination? Or another is what we call the theodicy debate. You know, how do you re uh, reconcile good with bad and such. Yeah. And such. And then uh, Dr. Mahan Mirza is asking, did you come up with this classification scheme, source, practical, abstract, 
or is it taken from somewhere? Just about every everything I say is stolen from other people. The hard part is that I've been teaching it so many times I've forgotten where I've stolen it from. Uh, I find it interesting that Hedy Sierra is among the sources from one of the from one perspective, but abstractive view that is history. So Sita is more so in the history realm, uh, whereas Hadith would be more in the primary sources and such. And let me know if that, if that uh, works for you, uh, Dr. Mahan. Okay, so then what is philosophy? Philosophy would be all the speculative thinking that isn't theology. So falsafa, a lot of what is falsafa would be things about the relationship between the individual and the state, or what are the philosophical underpinnings behind the organization of the state? That's where a lot of the original, earliest philosophies that we have, but anything and everything that we'd reckon we'd regard as speculative thinking would be philosophy that if it's not already found in, in uh, theology. Okay, now why am I sharing all this? One is just to give you a taste of the Islamic sciences, but then I'm saying you take these nine dominant Islamic sciences, okay. there's many more, but these are the nine dominant ones, and you trace all of them back to the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. And when we look through the construction of the tradition, a lot of it is traced back to the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. But then within that, so level one um, is, the, is the sciences. Where is that coming from? Level two is the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. Level three, with focus on surahs two and three. That even surahs two and three seem to be the root, or are often treated as the root of the rest of the Quran. And then surahs two and three, then take al-Fatiha as their root. So if you were to imagine a tree, like a palm tree. Imagine the roots of the palm tree is al-Fatiha. And then the long trunk of the palm tree are surahs two and three. So much so that the, 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 that the prophet peace be upon him speaks of everything having a light or a pinnacle and these two surahs are the light or the pinnacle of, of, of the Quran. And then the leaves at the top become the rest of the surahs as one way to imagine the structure or the operation of the Quran. I should turn my light on. Okay, in any case, so, so we have the Islamic sciences, which trace themselves back to the Quran and the prophet, peace be upon him, which in particular trace themselves back to surahs two and three, which then in particular trace themselves back to al-Fatiha, and Al-Fatiha traces itself back to the first line, Basmalah, Bismillah Rahman Rahim. And Bismillah Rahman Rahim, the Basmalah, traces itself back to the Ba. So I'm going to put you put this in reverse order, which is actually forward order. That think of the Ba as the heart of this all, which we'll come back to in a second. The more I understand of this Ba, and this is, this is a, a related to a narration attributed to Ali. May Allah be pleased with him. Uh, the more I understand of this Ba, the more I understand the essence of Bismillah Rahman Rahim. And the more I understand of Bismillah Rahman Rahim, 
the more I understand the essence of everything else, but especially the next two surahs. And the more I understand of the next two surahs, the more I understand of the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him, the rest of the Quran or the whole of the Quran and the Prophet, peace be upon him. And the more I know of those, the more I understand the Islamic sciences. So think of that structure is how the Islamic sciences in theory work. And we would think that all of the traditions, the sciences of other religions work the same way, but you'd be surprised how much they do not. Now, keep in mind, I'm also making it a lot cleaner than it might seem if you're walking through a library, you know, or if you're walking through the writings of just one person, then it's a whole lot more complex. And we'll touch on some of those things as, they, as they're relevant. And so, so now moving from there, speaking of the ba of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So Arabs, if I were to ask you, how do you translate this? This would be with or in, yeah? And in English, we might call this a, uh, a proposition. But what are we saying here that as this type of connection, the essence of the entirety of the Islamic tradition is connection, right? We often translate this as with the name of Allah, in the name of Allah. Which then means what? One of the essences of the entirety of the Islamic tradition, the practice of Islam, the thought of Islam, the belief of Islam is relationships. Now, this leads to another point about the problem in terms of how we're commonly studying Islam. I said one problem in, we, in terms of how we commonly study Islam is we get focused on just consumption of knowledge. You know, let me take it in, let me take it in, let me take it in, with no thought about practicing. A second problem is that most, at the community level, most of the study of Islam is Islamic law, which is well and good, but if you are doing this without an actual proper curriculum, Either it's a guarantee you're not going to practice most of what you're learning, or you're going to make yourself miserable. Because most of the practice of Islam is actually in relationships. Think about it. What do we call the companions of the Prophet? We call them the companions. We're identifying a, a relationship. Could have been teacher and disciple, but they're companions. Or, you know, how do you learn how to pray? The Prophet says, pray as you see me pray. And so every one of you, how did you learn how to pray? You might have... Okay, you might have learned from a book, from a video, but ultimately, how do you learn how to pray when you're praying with other people? And they learn from other people who learn from other people who learn from other people who learn from other people, going all the way back to the prophet, may peace be upon him. That is a person-to-person -person relationship. That the entire salah is sustained by this person-to-person -person relationship. The entire salah is taught by this person-to-person -person relationship. Like Because we often say what? You don't find how to pray in the Quran, you find in the Hadith. No, that is wrong. You do find a giant narration about how to do Hajj. Um, you do find bits of the Salah in the Hadith. But how do you actually learn how to pray? It's person to person. And so if you remove that connection, you're literally removing one of the central aspects of Islam. And so, you know, no, it's like the end of the workday, so people are like, are, are getting to their cars right now probably wondering what I'm doing here, but then they'll recognize me and they'll think, okay, this is nothing new for myself. Anyway, so, so the point here 
is when we're looking at the B as the center of the whole thing, what we're saying is that the central aspect of Islam is your relationships. Even think about the five pillars. When we think of Salah, we spoke about how do you learn it, but what does the word Salah mean? It means connection. And with whom are you trying to connect? You're trying to connect with Allah Ta'ala. You're trying to connect with the Prophet, peace be upon him. You're trying to connect with nature. You're trying to connect with, with, uh, with the community itself as the ideal prayer. And you're trying to connect with yourself. The whole system is focused on connection. Another repeated theme you're going to hear from me throughout the whole month is that the whole system being about connection means it's what? It's all about trust. Why do we have this proliferation of fake news and, and conspiracy theories? Because of a breakdown in trust. Of course, some of it's coming from power brokers who want you to have distrust. And so then when it comes to taking COVID, the vaccine, if you do it or don't, it's really going to come down to, to you know, whom do you trust? If I trust this person who says take the vaccine, I'm going to take the vaccine. So these are things we're going to see. But all of it is saying the essence of Islam. One of the essence of Islam is connection. Which then brings us into the rest of Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. So B, Ism Allah. So the first connection is to develop a connection with Allah Ta'ala. Okay. Now, those of you who, uh, who asked for homework, here's your first homework assignment. And those of you who didn't ask for homework, you can do this voluntarily. Uh, your first homework assignment is to make a list of your 25 or so closest relationships. And then in that list, categorize them. Who is in your innermost circle? So do it by way of circles. And then evaluate your role in these relationships. Meaning, are there things you need to do um, more to strengthen and improve these relationships? That's your first homework assignment for those who choose to do it. And then as mentioned in, in my emails, those of you who work with me individually, I can I'll even further tailor make your homework assignments. Okay, awesome childhood question. Uh, somehow, so does this mean that each surah somehow fits in with either surah two or three? Or is it that all, they all fit within both? They all fit within both. But some will fit more in, in Al-Baqarah, some will fit more in Ali Imraniya. And, and a way to think about this is that Al-Fatiha gives you all of Islam as a concept. Uh, Al-Baqarah and Ali Imran tend to focus, Al-Baqarah tends to focus on the external, Ali Imran tends to focus on the internal. And then you add uh, Surah An-Nisa, then that gives you even another, another dimension of the whole thing, which if we have time, we'll touch on all those things, inshallah. Okay, so having said that, what is the core that we said today? You take the whole structure and at the center of it all is connection. And then what we will discuss, inshallah, tomorrow, is the connection with Allah. What are the basics of that connection? Class, the goal is usually to make it go from 5, 5 to 5.30. Sometimes it will go longer. And you're all welcome to, to interrupt with questions. In some cases, I'll answer your question right away. In other cases, I'll get to it um, and, uh, later. Or in, there might be some questions where I'll say it's sort of outside the bounds of the class and we may eventually get to it or not. Um, can you repeat, Sajid is asking, can you repeat what is lost when we learn without emphasizing connection? So what I'm saying here 
is that the common approach to, to learning the deen is focused on Islamic law. And, and so the fiqh of this, the fiqh of this, the fiqh of this, the fiqh of this, which is well and good, but I'm gonna to suggest to you most of that information is probably useless for you. Meaning when you have to make a decision, what is appropriate practice? If you think to yourself, what is the most wholesome behavior? That is probably the most correct Islamic answer. If you look specifically through that lens. The second most common uh, approaches uh, in terms of consumption of study you know, gets into just all kinds of issues of ideas and governance and, and, and such like that, which I think are useful, but I don't know if they really are all that helpful. And so what I'm suggesting is uh, really take a look at the, the nature of relationships. Because that is where so much of the focus is. The prophet peace be upon him literally said, I did not come except to perfect character. And think about that as the lens through which we look at the entirety of the tradition. And those of you who were raised Muslim, uh, think about how you were taught Islam in your house versus how you were taught perhaps in Sunday school, you know, especially if you grew up like in, in the, the common approach of, of suburban uh, uh, Islam, that uh, in the house you're being taught manners and you're being taught to keep your word to the point that you might get punished if you don't. Uh, whereas in Sunday school Islam, you're being taught all kinds of other things, which are beneficial. But I'm saying manners and character um, are, are much more important. But that doesn't mean those are not. And then uh, Douglas Williams, do you have a question? Yes, could you repeat the homework, please? Okay, so the homework is to look at your 25 closest relationships and then categorize them as circles, meaning who's the closest to you. And then spread out circles from there. And that's part one. Well, part one is list out your 25 closest relationships. Part two is to put them in, in categorizations. Um, and then part three is to evaluate what do you need to do in terms of improving your end of these relationships. And one way to test it is if a person finds himself thinking, well, this person needs to do this for me or that for me, then that's actually a problem with yourself as opposed to that person. But that'll be easier to figure out as you go through and figure out the, uh, your, your relationships. Uh, awesome is asking, uh, also the Quran wasn't revealed in the order we read now. So is the order designed to help us perceive it in, in this way? This is, this is a, a wonderful question which goes directly to the point of why I'm emphasizing that so much of Islam is the relationships. Because if you look at the Quran of Mecca, what did the Arabs say? We learned Iman before we learned Islam. And so for a decade, they focused on your understanding of reality. You know, and for them, it was the introduction of the day of judgment and so forth and so on. And so, so our goal here is to really get into how the Quran is saying reality operates. And your first lesson is everything is all about connections. Any other questions about anything at all? So like I said, feel free to interrupt even during the class with any sort of questions. The target is for class to go from five to about 5.30. Sometimes we'll go to 5.40, occasionally we'll go longer. And, and so small doses, 30 minutes, usually usually um, uh, one question. So Dr. Mahan Mirza, or, or, or soon to be Dr. Abdullah Mirza, 
Inshallah is asking the first connection is with Allah or with the Islam of Allah. That we will talk about tomorrow, inshallah. Okay. And of course, because I'm a student of film, I have to make things dramatic. So those of you who take my classes know I'll add cliffhangers and stuff like that. Any other questions? Okay, so uh, let's see. Uh, Douglas Williams and then Ahant. Yes, Mr. Williams. I'm sorry, could you just demonstrate like the circles? Can you? Yeah, sure. Okay. Thank you. So for example, uh, my core circle would be my parents, my daughters, uh, my sisters. Uh, I have one sister who's married, so I would include her husband and then her kids. That would probably be my core, core, core circles. And then one layer out would be some friends that I speak with or interact with quite a bit, including uh, a couple of people who are, who are in this class. And then another layer out will be other friends. And in most, in, you know, I'm, I'm a big nerd, right? So most of my interactions with students as opposed to actual human beings that I would call friends. And so there are those that I, that I chat with on a regular basis, either through text or whatever, and then move further and further. Does that make sense? Yeah, so it's similar. So it'd be like a solar system. Exactly. exactly. Okay. okay. Thank you. Assalamualaikum. In this uh, this class last year, especially going through Surah uh, Baqarah, what are some, uh, you know, I guess things we should keep in mind heading into this year's class, uh, assuming this is the class of Ali Imran? Okay, so, uh, I mean, so one point to think about those of you who've gone through some or all of Al-Baqarah with me. Can you all hear me? Because apparently I'm, 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 uh, I'm really fuzzy now. Can you hear me clearly? Anyone? Hello? You cannot hear me clearly? Okay. I sound robotic. That's my natural, that's my accent. Yeah. Can you hear me now? Anything? Testing. Testing. One, two, three. Okay. Who's trying to call me? Don't call me. Okay. Well, we might have to cut it short for today. And so, uh -huh, we might have to save your question until tomorrow. Because uh, I think uh, uh, my, my phone is, is beginning to die. So, so uh, those of you, I'm sorry that I couldn't get your questions today. Uh, feel free to also email me. I don't know if you can even understand anything I'm saying right now. Uh, so we will continue inshallah tomorrow. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nasafiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nasafiruka wa natubu ilayk. Subhanakallahumma bihamdika nashadu la ilaha illa anta nasafiruka wa natubu ilayk. May Allah tell everybody you all inshallah and hopefully we'll see you tomorrow. Some of you will be fasting, some of you will be not, but we're all Muslims and we all love each other. Okay, wassalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.